We're busting out of this joint, Lefty. We'll, we'll do it at midnight. We're busting out, Lefty. Hi, everybody. This is Tracy Edwards, and I'm hanging out with Rick Flynn. I've got some jailhouse stories. If you want to hear them, you have to stay tuned. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents. And now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hello, everyone, and welcome on in. What a show we have for you today with an old, old friend of mine from right here in this area who I've just recently come acquainted with, even though we go way back, because this is a lady, believe it or not, that actually used to come to the identical club where I was the DJ years ago. <laughs> and oh, what a place it was. Is that not right, Tracy Edwards? I know it was. It was Rick, a beautiful club. New York. I know. It was gorgeous. New York had Studio 54, Cincinnati and the greater Cincinnati area had a place called the Conservatory. I spent many evenings there, Rick. Right. I now, loved it. Was the music any good? Of course it was. Right. The music, it was fabulous. The music was unbelievable. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. And you know, we had people that used to come there from Nashville, Tennessee. They'd drive up, they'd get a hotel room uh, right next door where you could walk to the hotel, or they'd use the hotel a block up the street where you could walk to that. And then at the top of that hotel, the whole upper floor was a restaurant that revolved in a circle. I had my high school prom there. Oh, 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 wasn't that something? It took an hour and a half to make a complete revolution. It was a quality in, wasn't it? Yes, wasn't yes, it was. Called? It was a quality in, and they had banquet and ballrooms on the main level as you walked in on the main. And then when you went all the way up to the top, that was the, the restaurant that revolved I guess somehow they got a motor down underneath the floor, which just took the whole entire floor, all of the patrons seated at the seats, dining. They said when you ordered reservations there and made them, always allow an hour and a half for your dinner because that's what but it the took. Sitting they were sitting and spinning. It was just like it, magic. That's true. That's totally true. But Tracy, it is so good to have you here. You are not only a seasoned television professional, but of course, you're in theater. I know you've calmed down in that in later years, but your career in both fields, in both TV and theater, was just exemplary. I'm still learning about you. I had no knowledge that you did any parts at all in the Who's Broadway play or whatever it was called, Tommy. You know, I grew up in in Northern Kentucky yes. and um, went to Northern Kentucky University and got a degree in theater and then went on to do the regional theater and then, you know, got my equity card and then moved to New York. 
Right. And then, you know, started auditioning. And many times when you go to New York, you just audition and get jobs outside of New York. That's really typical. And my one of my first jobs I got was a national tour. And that, of course, toured outside of New York. And that was with uh, Patrice Munsell, who is a, a Broadway actress, a singer, a wonderful opera singer. And um, we became fast friends and uh, just had a great time uh, meeting her and having a, just a great relationship with her until she passed away. And yeah, so I was lucky with that. But you know, it was so I had a great time in New York. And, uh, and then after the fact, I, I, I ended up by happenstance going and in, in auditioning for a friend of mine who couldn't go, she couldn't go to an audition. And uh, in between theater jobs, I would sling makeup for oh, people. Really? And so she. Yeah, I was just, I was a makeup artist and she said, listen, I've got this audition for this shopping network. I can't do it. She said, but you can do it. They need a makeup artist who can sell stuff and you can do that. So, so can you go do it? And I'm like, well, I've never done, you know, television, but I guess I could, I could take a whack at it. So I went in and, um, you know, I'd done some comedy. So I thought, well, I'll go ahead and I'll just, I'll just do my kind of act. And so I did, and I got it on the spot pretty much. I had a couple auditions and then got, got the job. And then I was selling on national television. And that's how I got into the, to the TV game by selling stuff on television. So I, I worked with a lot of the shopping networks. And that's how I found out about you being on TV, because I worked for the affiliate that carried you in greater Cincinnati. And I would see you, Uh, I would see you in the control room on the monitors. You see? uh, Absolutely. and selling. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then I had no knowledge at the time that I was watching you on television about your vast theatrical background. I didn't know and it yet, was. We were deep. from Cincinnati. Yeah, no, I found that out later. Right, right. Yes. Rick, it's kind of a six degrees of separation when you go into show business, isn't it? You always end up knowing somebody who knows somebody. And that's kind of what we found out when you and I were chatting earlier, that we just know a lot of the same people. That is so true. And, you know, it wasn't until I heard you say on the air one day on television, national TV, you said something about your dad used to, as you were growing up, watch the Cincinnati Reds. And that, of uh, course, yeah, is our ball yeah. club, our baseball team. And I said, this lady has to be from Cincinnati, I'll bet. And when I found that out, it was then that I discovered that you actually came to the club where I worked. Yep. I mean, that's I grew up going to my father was he was a fanatic. He was a Cincinnati Reds fanatic. And I remember going to the the baseball games with him. I mean, if I wanted to hang out with my dad, I had to go see the Reds. That was the only way. So we went, we had season tickets, and we always went to the spring training camps. As a little girl, I mean, I was doing that. And, you know, we got to hang out with the children of the baseball players. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. Went to um, watch the World Series. I was able to do that as a little kid. And, you know, I just grew up loving the Cincinnati Reds and the big red machine. And when my father passed away, they had a moment of silence for him because he was such a fanatic and a loyal patron of the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, boy. Now, you mentioned you used to go watch them practice on the off season. Well, that had to have been in Florida. 
Yeah, we went every every spring training. Mom and Dad would go down there, and we always stayed wherever the players were staying. That's mm-hmm. usually where we stayed. It wasn't a fan, and it wasn't a fancy place, but that's usually where we stayed. That is incredible. Your daddy, he took it seriously. Oh yeah. Tony Perez, all of them, and their little kids. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, that's what we did. Oh, no, I, I met uh, Tony Perez many times, and then he hired me to make him the, the, what was at that time, cassette tapes for his car, because he would like to listen <laughs> to the music that we had at the club in his car. He'd actually pay cash money for it. I said, whoa, okay, no problem. Yeah, you know what they were, and, and I remember with Tony Perez, we, we ended up going to like, I don't know, it was some breakfast thing. Such a nice, nice guy. Such a nice guy. Right. Well, he wanted to pick up the tapes, I remember, and I was going to be at a different club other than the one that I worked in full time. Monday was my day off at my main club, but I was working a different one for a while while they needed me at a competitor way out in the suburbs. And darned if he didn't drive all the way out there and just to pick up his tapes. And he came into the new club where I was. And I said, whoa, it's, uh, that's awfully, uh, he wanted those tapes pretty badly. You know yeah, what I mean? He must have. That was gold. You oh, just mixed some gold for that guy. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> they called him Doggy. Did they? That was his nickname. Doggy. Tony Perez. I'm sure that that was his nickname, Doggy. I can't can't remember. I was pretty little then. I mean, little-ish, nine-ish, ten-ish, something like that. Can't remember. You know, when you get older, you can't remember such things. But I remember a lot of it. So, you know, we we did have a good time with the Reds. They They were great. They're starting after a downturn from the big red machine era where they were just stellar. We're starting to get back up to where they're winning games now a lot. They're actually, uh, last I heard, they were like second in their division, which is not bad right now. No, no, that's, that is bad. That's, that's really good. But they've had problems. I have a brother who really loves it, so. Oh, you have a brother that loves it now? Yes. And you know, it's interesting. He's, he's my biological brother who I recently found uh-huh. and and then it, it was interesting that he adores it as well so so somehow by magical thinking or something I've been trying to you know manifest that and find my family I found a brother who loved the Cincinnati Reds so it's kind of cool that is incredible you were an adopted gal right yeah my parents uh, my parents couldn't have kids, and so they, they had foster children, many foster children. And uh, finally, Dad, Mom and Dad, he he wanted to be a minister. They didn't have a lot of money, but it was like, I could be a minister and go to the seminary, or we could have children. So Dad Dad really wanted to have kids, so they adopted three children, you know, two, two older children who were in an orphanage. And so they got my brother and sister, Basil and Franny, and then... Later, they got me. I was I was an infant when they got me. I think I was about about eight months old when they when they got me. So they got three of us. And where did and, all this uh, interest in show business come from? And the the raw talent to do it. Did you get trained well, in school? Did you go to a, a specialty school, or how did you learn how to be an actress, for example? Oh, you know what? I think I always kind of had. I was bitten by the bug. Probably in church, going to church. You know, we went to church all the time. 
So growing up in Kentucky and my parents were always taking us to church. The little Christian church down in Petersburg, Kentucky, my first big, I think my big performance was singing Let the Sunshine In when I was six years old by myself in front of the church. And so that was it. And people seemed to like it because they liked it. I thought, well, that's kind of nice. They applauded and I enjoyed that. And so from then on, I just decided, well, I guess that's what it was. I remember Let the Sunshine In. Wasn't that oh, from yeah. the Broadway musical Hair? Or am I, I wrong? I think so. I, I'm not it was sure, done by, was it, so. was it a fifth dimension song? No, I don't think so. Okay, what was it? Let the I sun. I don't know. I don't yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll, let we'll the delete. Sunshine. That's yeah. a different, totally different song, but, but you know. Right, I remember. I still had the same, yeah, that's a di- different song, but they're both saying Let the Sunshine In. It was performing in church that kind of caused you to get bitten by the bug, so to speak. I think that happens to a lot of people. They get their first their first acting chops or performing chops in church. And so that's kind of what happened to me. Back when I was on terrestrial radio, before I started doing the podcast, I had an actress on and she cautioned everybody listening to not get that union card too quickly. And she said, what some people do, they make the mistake. They think that when they get that union card, that, well, I'm a pro now. I can do anything. I'm a professional. And she said, what that card does, that limits you. You're no longer able to work regional theater or community theater anymore. You have to work union houses. Did you discover that to be good advice or would you disagree with that? Well, you know, I think that when I was when I was um in college, luckily that my my professor Jack Wan was Dr. Jack Wan was also he was the head of the theater department. <clears throat> he was also a union actor and he worked a lot. He did a lot of Shakespeare and he brought in a lot of uh, union actors uh, to uh, to teach us as on guest contracts. So we learned a lot about the union and what it offered and when we should get into it. And so I learned a lot about that prior to going into it. So. I ended up doing a lot of summer stock that wasn't union, and many times union actors would be on guest equity guest contracts within those shows. So I would get to work with union actors, but I, you know, I didn't have to join. So that's what a lot of people do. So I knew about it, and I knew when it was time for me to join. So I did a lot of summer stock and a lot of regional theater that was not union. And then when it, when I felt it was time for me, when I had enough under my belt, enough, enough, I did, you know, chorus work, but then I started getting the leads and I had enough on my resume that I thought merited, okay, I, I've got it and I can go ahead. I can go ahead and get the equity card. That's what I did. I got an internship at this place called Beef and Boards Dinner Theater. Oh, we had, we had one. We no, we had one in greater Cincinnati here. Yeah, and then and so it's the same people who who own it. So Doug Stark owns it, and he, you know he what a great guy. And I got my equity card there, so I got that. I worked a lot of places without my equity card, you know, before. So I I think you have to take your time. You don't want to get it too soon if you don't have if you don't have a lot of roles. You know, if you if you if you've just got a lot of chorus stuff, no, you don't want to get your equity card yet. And that was the whole point that she made because everybody kept telling me, Rick, we know a 
pro actress. We know we know this actress over here. She's turned pro. She's getting parts. Put her on. Put her on. Put her on. And so the, her friends that were friends of mine mutually, they brought her on. And, and sure enough, she said, there is such a thing. And I wanted to caution everybody, she told me over the air, that you can become professional too soon. And if you do, that is a bad thing. Although, I will say this. A friend of mine from college, her name is Angie Schwar, unbelievably talented person, triple threat. She can sing. She can dance. She can act. She, you know, she's the long legs. Just so talented. She went to New York. She got in a Broadway show. Then she got in another Broadway show. And then another. And then another. And then another. And then another. She has done so many Broadway shows that they have actually... There was a show that made a part for her that is, it was basically, we need somebody like Angie Shore. That's her name. So she's kind of a one of a kind person, but she went to New York and she had, she has such a wonderful career and she's continued to get show after show. So it can happen. So you don't want to just squash someone's dreams, but it's good advice to take and to put in your pocket and to think about it. But there are certain people that just have this light on them and they, they continuously get cast. So, so it can happen. It's the child who takes piano lessons and they end up being a young Liberace, you know, they're not the rule. They're the vast exception. You're You're correct. Yes. I just made up a word. I said, correct. Yes, correct. You can, you just never know that certain people just, you know, there are people who I think are were just brilliant, just as brilliant as they come, who just never got a break. And there are people who I have met who I thought, well, they're, you know, they're pretty good, but something happened and they did get a break and then they got another one and they got another one. So you just never know. I'll tell you it's who I always used to love. I think Bernadette was just so talented in the theater. I used to watch oh, Bernadette. Bern- Peter's- oh, yes, yeah. Bernadette. Oh, oh and- she's, you know, I, I met her once. I hate to be a name dropper, but I did. But you know how I met her? I would assume you I- met her at the theater. No, I was slinging makeup. I was selling makeup at a makeup counter in Manhattan. Oh, no. To me. Yeah, no. She walked oh, in yes, off the street? So Oh, she did, and she was so wonderful and kind and sweet, and the makeup was, I mean, she didn't even need makeup, or just, she was as beautiful as you could imagine, and sweet as you could imagine. With and that spiral some, permed hair, she had, oh, she had that, those curly hair like she, she always just, had. She, just, just, she was just perfect, just perfect, and so nice, you know, so she was just one of those nice people, and so yeah, I was thrilled to death and told her I was, and yeah, it was a great moment for me. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, when you worked on the national tour, how long were you out on that, if you can recall? Was it a year or less? Yeah. I did a couple of them. One of them was like eight months, and one of them was just three months. How would you travel from city to city? Airplane? Bus? And sometimes, but, but sometimes one of them we did take a plane. on certain, When you had a really, like, a long one, like a, you had to get there, you had to get there really, you know, really fast, and there just wasn't time to take the bus. 
they would the crew would take the bus the buses and the set piece in the sets because there were two different bus the bu- two buses you know one for the set and one for the for the uh, for all of us and sometimes we would fly but that was a rarity usually we were on the bus right flying kind of dro- drooped on each other oh yeah oh. That, that was hard yeah do you know I have not taken a bus for a long period of time since then I've gotten on buses for like you know, in a, in a city for just like, you know, going across, you know, cross town. But I've never taken a long bus drive since then. Now, did you actually live in New York City? Yeah, for 10 years. Oh, no. Whoa. Yeah. And boy, yeah. what a what a lifestyle change from greater Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. I loved it. And you know what? It was at that time, it was a, a really good time for me to be there. You know what? But when I got there, and this is the time when things kind of got wonky for me, um, you know, I was I was doing great, and I started falling down. Not really sure, you know, what was going on. But I just kept having pratfalls, uh, falling down, you know, the subway stairs, you know, doing, you know, those kind of things, not knowing I fell on stage. Before then, I was doing doing a, a show, and I fell down when I was on stage. I was doing Singing in the Rain and fell on stage not knowing, you know, why. I just, my legs just gave out. And I thought, what the hell? Excuse my language. What the heck, I mean? And, you know, obviously had to make a bit out of it. Luckily, it was a musical, uh, and I was playing the crazy Lena Lamont, so I could make a bit out of it. And uh, and did, but the uh, then I went to New York shortly after that, and I just kept doing these pratfalls. And my friends, we were we were out out in the city, and we we we'd gone to the theater. And my friends were in the cab, and they're like, "Where's Tracy?" And they went around the front of the cab, and I was on the ground. And they're like, "What the heck?" Shortly thereafter, I went. I I was having trouble swallowing, so I had to go to the doctor to find out what was going on. And uh, he sent me to get a, to get an MRI. And I went in uh, the next day, and he said, you know, good news is you didn't have a stroke. Bad news is you have MS. MS, multiple sclerosis. Yes. And you were falling down. I didn't even know what it was. But I've read about it, and I've known others in life that have had it. You fell down. And by the way, I used to know a young lady years, many, many years ago, and she came up with this doggone Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. Oh, and she's no longer with us. That was the same thing. Her arm started moving once, she told me, and she was not in control of that arm. She didn't want the arm to move. Right. So I I don't know a whole lot about it. It's neurological. So what happens is the body, you know, you have your immune system, and mine is like supercharged, and my immune system decides to attack the myelin sheath. Now, the myelin sheath is like the nerve coating that covers, it's the coating that covers the nerves. Kind of like when you have an electrical cord and all of a sudden just part of it is chewed up and frayed. So when it's chewed up and frayed, the electrical impulses don't go through and it shorts out. That's basically what happens. My nervous system attacks, my immune system, I'm sorry, attacks and chews little areas, which causes lesions. And when you have the lesions, it kind of creates just like potholes all over your brain, on your brain stem. And so then their neurotransmitters, they just don't transmit. And so then you can get the paralysis and the trouble with walking, uh, balance. Uh, sometimes it's swallowing. Listen, it's it's a it is a plethora of different symptoms, and it's as different uh, as the person who has it. 
So you just never know. So not all you patients exhibit the identical same Absolutely traits. Different. Right. They're all different. Totally different. I've, you know, I used to work uh, with the MSAA. That's the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America. They're a, a great organization that basically helps people who have MS. They're there for services for people. I, when I was on their board, I was able to to meet people who had the disease. Some people who had, you know, really, you know, they were diagnosed and they were in a wheelchair, you know, right away. And then, then others who had had it for years who you, you really wouldn't even know had it. You just wouldn't even know to look at them. And I'm kind of that way. When you look at me, when people who meet me, they, they don't really know that I have it. And, you know, I don't drive anymore. And sometimes I have pratfalls that land me at the hospital, you know, stuff like that. That happened last year, you know. So, so you know, things Things have changed for me, but all in all, I, I was diagnosed in 1994, and I was on uh, one of the biologic medicines right away. They're all, there's a host of them. There's so many different options for people who have MS, and I got on one right away. You know, I didn't go, oh, I can't take one of those drugs. I was going to try it, and, and because I got on one, I, I did very well. And so, you know, I'm really glad that they had something like that available for me. So, Did you catch so it I've, in I've the been, early stages? Yeah, yeah. I literally, they didn't have anything for MS when I initially was diagnosed. But my doctor said, you know, they started treating me with steroids. That's what they do. When you have an exacerbation, sometimes you'll, they'll give you pulse steroids. And kind of that's what they did with me when they put me in the hospital. But then he said, you know, the good news is they've got these uh, new drugs that the FDA is just really getting ready to approve. And I got, I was one of the first ones on the list and I was able, I was diagnosed in April and I got on it in October. So I've been on one since then, since 1994. Now you were performing on on the stage in the musical Singing in the Rain. And right there in the middle of the production, against your will, boom, you hit the you hit the ground and what landed right on your on your butt, so to speak. Oh, so much so on my butt, you know, with, around everybody, because, you know, I was like the the crazy, you know, lean on my TikToks like this, you know, and she's just she's such a like mean little character and. And so all of the the main characters are around me and looking at me like, what the heck? So you have to make a bit out of it when you do something like that. You you, you can't you can't act like it didn't happen. So you the know, audience <laughs> and the audience didn't know the difference, did they? No, no. I just said, Will you help me up. Let's just stop looking at me and help me <laughs> up. And so the guy did, and you know that's that's the way you go. But yeah, it's it, it's. <laughs> And the actor next to you, this was all brand new to him. He didn't know what 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 did his face look like. It was really hard not to laugh. Now, when you were, Tracy, on the the Who's musical, Tommy, was that a regional production or was the actual band, The Who, there? No, no, the the Who who wrote wrote Tommy. Right, I have the soundtrack to that. See me, feel me, touch me. It right. was about the pinball wizard, the deaf, dumb, right. and blind kid that sure played a mean pinball. They wrote it, and then it it became a movie. Yes, and then, yes. After that, then it became a Broadway show, and I did a regional 
production when I was doing I was doing a morning show down in down in Florida back in 2009 and I had um, the uh, artistic director of this theater on my show and they were they were talking about some upcoming shows and Tommy was one of them and he and I were just chatting about it and he knew I was an equity actor and it's an it was an equity theater and he said well, you should audition for it I said, oh, I haven't done theater in so long. I don't know. He's like, really, you should, you should audition. So I, I thought, okay. And so I did, and and he cast me as um, as Tommy's mother, and I was scared to death to do it to get, you know, put my toe back in the water. But I did it, and it was just, it was so much fun and uh, a blessing to do. Great production. It was a little theater down in Florida. Down in Naples. Oh, way down south. <laughs> way down south. Way down way on down the bottom. There. Yes, yeah, down on the bottom. Well, see, that was the rock opera, Tommy, which yeah, I true. guess it was the Who's, Tommy, and then the band Queen. Didn't they get involved? They got involved in, in uh, somehow, I believe, in the writing uh, or the uh, performance of they rock. Wrote their, well, they wrote... They wrote their own music. Bohemian Rhapsody. Some of this music yes. they had was almost operatic by its very nature. Right. So, yeah, so like, well, they did well with theirs, so let's write one too. So, right. It was the Who's venture, I think, that spurred a lot of those groups at right. that time yeah. to do it. You know what? When you listen to that score, it's just, it's wonderful. It's oh, a yes. wonderful score. Well, they did well. They certainly sold a lot and did well with it. Then you had Alice Cooper, who started out as a rock and roll band. The The Alice Cooper band was just another rock and roll band. And if you look at how that band transitioned and changed over the years, it went from a rock band to Alice Cooper out front on a Broadway-type stage with right. unknown musicians behind them, behind a curtain, while they did a theatrical show. Yeah, it became more of an experience. Right. He had props. It was, it was as far as I'm concerned, it was a play. It wasn't really much right. of a concert. No, it was a play. Right. right. So, yeah. yeah, they made it more of a happening so, you know, when you when you would go, it was it was definitely a theatrical experience. Right. And then they had another group that tried to do the opera thing and, and had it down there for a minute back when they had their singer Dennis D. Young and the group was named Styx. S T Y X. And Dennis D. Young was this, uh, well, he he was uh, a pretty pretty good theatrical-type singer, but the rest of the band, other than he, wished to proceed as a rock band. And he said, no, 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 let's do this theatrical thing. And that ended up getting him tossed out of the band, or he resigned. Right. I, I don't know, but they later had a lawsuit and everything on that. And their biggest hit that he sang was Babe. Babe, I'm leaving. You remember that from Stick. Yeah, I do. And the lawsuit was a federal lawsuit. They settled that out with the fact that the band Sticks could go on without him, but they could not sing the record Babe. The only one allowed to sing that in live concert was him. Right, correct. So that's how they settled that one out. 
and Dennis D. Young is still singing it. And it was a song written about his wife. The theater injected itself into rock, but for the most part, you're going to have to agree, Tracy. Rock and roll was and is three or four or five guys that just got together and just decided to rock and roll, you know? Right, absolutely. That's absolutely. what rock you know, and roll music, is. When we listen to music, Bill and I, that's my partner, when we listen to stuff, we still always go back to the you know, the seventies and eighties, like that's the best music and at least Oh, it is. It is opinion. we're older and so we like to listen to that stuff. So you know, I listen to some of the new stuff, but I I do like the seventies and eighties. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. I, I'll, I'll go as far as to say the 70s it just by itself was excellent. And you can go back to the yeah. 60s if you want the Motown and the, the doo-wop and all that. Even the 60s had some good music in there. But the 70s was, was I liked when the Beatles happened and then all these groups came over on the British invasion. And that actually changed music in America, too. We had right, all right, kinds absolutely. of bands that were, the Beatles affected the whole world, Tracy. And, you know, you still hear all of that music playing. If you, you know, when you go out, and you'll still hear music playing in different stores and stuff. It's still the 70s and 80s music. People still like to listen to it. Even younger people like to listen. Now, I'm going to have an extremely difficult time when I'm, <laughs> if the good Lord allows me to live till I'm 90, I'm going to have a great time going through that department store if they're still open and hearing what they're playing today as trendy music turning classic and it's all gangster rap i i refuse to oh, believe I don't that's, think that's gonna i don't think it's gonna happen no 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 you know why because the the stuff that is still playing 70s and 80s music it'll live on it'll live on yeah yeah, I mean, it, it just will. They so, don't call it classic rock for nothing. Right. And what, You're right. How can you call gangster rap classic? I can't understand a lot of that music, but like Eminem, I like to listen to Eminem. Yeah, I some of his songs, My and, Name and, Is, My Name Is, Slim Shady. Some of that's not it's, bad. It's prophetic. You know, it's very, you know, he's a good poet. Yes, yes. You know, and, and, and it's, you know, and there are others that are too that are you know pretty dynamic and 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 I that I that I listen to. But I, you know, when people are when it's so um, harsh and so dirty and so you know criminally violent, oriented music. Yeah, yeah. Just then, I, then I don't like it. And when it's so overtly sexual, it, it just you know I I I'm older and I I guess I'm you know setting your conservative. ways. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I'm not really a conservative person, but I guess for that kind of stuff, I guess I am. Okay. Now, when you were down in Florida, you launched, that means you began not one, but two morning talk shows. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Those are the shows that you wake up, you turn on your TV and every local town usually has one of them, at least where the hosts are there. They bring in guests that are appearing in the town and they're promoting the the events in the town. They want you to come out and see them. And you did that 
for the Fox Network affiliate in Florida, and you also did another show like that for the NBC affiliate in Florida. And one of those shows, was it like seven years that you did the show? One of them I did for like three years, and the other one I only did for probably a year. And and I was a co-host. I mean, I hosted it with another host. So, you know, one I hosted with a guy and the other one I hosted with with a gal and then a guy. And that happens sometimes. You end up going through several hosts. But it was a lot of fun. Those morning shows are fun. Right. And you did, so the combined total for both stations, you did that for four years. Right, right. And that was every uh, day. That was Monday through Friday, right? Right. And what ridiculous time did you have to wake up? Did you have to wake up like at four in the morning? Well, you know what? When I was doing one of the shows, I was doing HSN at the same time. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, so I was doing doing two jobs when I did that one. So, yeah, that was crazy, and I wouldn't recommend it because just it was too, it was really too hard, and I did, but I did it for a year. So, yeah, I did with that one. Yeah, I had to get up really early. I'd go do that show, and then I'd go right to work at HSN, you know, work there for a good seven, eight hours, and then go home, and I'd just collapse. So, yeah, that was... That was tough. But but when I did the other one, people think it's pretty easy. Oh, they just go in there and they, you know, they do an hour and then they're done. No, when you're doing one of those local shows, you go in. Usually I would go in for the one down in Naples, the Naples area. I would go in. It was called the Morning Blend. I usually went in there. I got there probably about seven in the morning. One of the producers and I were always in there first. We would get in there and, you know, start writing. Even though we'd written the day before, we would go in and tweak it and rewrite stuff, especially if there was new news stuff we we needed to add in. And then we would meet with our guests, even though we'd met with them before or we'd talked to them just like you and I kind of did. We then would meet with them before we'd go on the air. And then the rest of the day was getting prepared for the next show or shows in advance for the entire week. So, you you know, you're really plotting out the whole week or into the next week. So I would leave there usually at 7.30. So I'd get there at 7 and then I'd leave at 7 or 7.30 every day. And then on the weekend, I usually had to do a, a public appearance. And in person, so, yeah, a meet and greet. Oh, oh yeah, always. Well, you know how it is because you, you're a radio guy. You had to do that too. Oh, absolutely. Sure, sure. And you know what? I don't, You probably had to do a lot of them. I don't mind it. I don't mind it a bit. And I would do it on this podcast if they'd ask oh, sure. me to do it. That would be no problem. I'd love to meet the people. I love to get out there, even in other cities. The second largest market, other than the USA that carries this, where they're listening is uh, the UK, United Kingdom. So I think that's great. And then they're listening in Japan. If they want me in Tokyo to meet and greet, I'll tell you what, we'll we'll hit the road and go there. Oh. But nobody's asked me to come to Japan quite yet. Hey, you guys, ask him to come to Japan. He'll be there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I would. I've never been to Japan, but I have a lot of friends that have. And back when Pete Rose from your esteemed ball club there left mm. baseball due to the circumstances he found himself in, they offered mm-hmm. him a career. And they said, you can keep playing ball, but you got to wow. come over here to, to Japan. You'll be a big star in Japan. We'll pay you big money. You come and play in our Japanese baseball league. And Pete, 
He turned the whole thing down. He didn't want any parts of it. He didn't want to leave the United States, and he didn't want to play Japanese ball. So there you go. Interesting. That's an interesting thing. I didn't even know that story. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they offered him big money to go to Japan. And he said, thanks, but no thanks. And now we have a couple ball players come to mind that have come straight from Japan, and now they're playing American ball. The Reds have one. Shogo Aki, Akiyama is his name. That's one. And then one of the West Coast teams has one. They nicknamed the guy out there on the West Coast Showtime. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's what they call him, Showtime. That So there's two of them right there that have come from Japan, and there are probably even more. I believe there's more than that. No, we get Japanese ball players uh, every now and then, but it's just amazing. Some people will do anything to keep working in their respective field, but you know what I learned in the business, Tracy, and you probably did too, I'm sure. When you see, I didn't want to be kicked around from this state mm-hmm. to that state, you know, with no friends in the town, living in an apartment by myself, not knowing anybody in the town, just because they're going to let me come somewhere on talk and talk on the mic for four, three hours, mm-hmm. four hours a day. I stayed within our geographical boundaries and I did a whole lot there, but you cannot specialize. When one thing ends, you got to be versatile enough to keep moving. Right, right. If you're in, for example, the sports and there's no opening at the station for a sports announcer, you better be able to play some music or do something, you know? right. You have to be very, I mean, that kind of was me. I had to learn to go, listen, I always loved theater. Theater was theater. If I could do theater or TV, theater would have been it. Because it was just, I guess I loved the live audience. Oh, absolutely. I loved the live audience. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, there was a difference. But it was probably better for me and easier for me to do the television thing once I was diagnosed with EMS. Right. Because uh, my, my, vision, my vision wasn't as good. It wasn't as easy for me to walk on stage and do things on stage. So it was just, it was a... It was a better fit for me. Right. But to be honest, near to be honest, I worked some jobs that I didn't want to work because I had to chase the insurance. This happens to a lot of people. I mean, this is having, we don't have to go into it, but it's true. There are a lot of people who have chronic illnesses who have to work and go certain places in order to chase the insurance because if they don't have it then, and they have a chronic problem that, that really needs, you know, you have to take medication that's astronomical because my medicine is astronomical that I have to take, you will go and you will work for somebody even if they treat you like garbage because you need the insurance. And, and that was, I was in that predicament. I thank God I never was. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's really, really difficult. One of my jobs, really, really hard to work in that environment. And, um, but I had to, I had to basically suck it up and go, well, yep, but I've, I've got my insurance and I can get my medication. And I think a lot of people fall into that. And I, it's sad, but that's, that's just life. Life is that way and it presents you with that stuff. So you just have to, you have to go, well, I'm lucky I have it and, um, and move along. And that's kind of how I had to do. I had to think of it that way. 
Very good. Now, Oprah, didn't she have something to do with the Oxygen Network, or am I wrong? Now, you You worked for Oxygen Media. Did you, in effect, work for Oprah there, or am I wrong? No, you're right. In effect, I did. I never met her. Uh, But, yeah, she was an investor in in that, and um, it was really nice. I was just like a guest host. They hired me to be a guest host when one of their hosts couldn't work. I was I was one of those people that I, I would when I worked, I many times would try and do other things. That's just kind of how I always rolled because I, I thought, you know, I I need to have my hand in as much as I can. And so I I was working at HSN at the time, but I had an agent in New York and he said, Oh, you've got I've got this audition for you. See if ask ask your your boss and see if you can do it. So I asked him and he let me do it and I I went up and I was there for like a week and a half and I was able to work for them as a guest host. So that's how that all happened. Was it a talk show a or what was it? Yeah, yeah, it was a talk show. Uh, it was kind of a, a lifestyle talk show and it, it was a it was it's kind of like the view. It was like four four women, four hosts various ages doing um, basically what kind of like what The View does, but not so opinionated. It wasn't really like that. It was more of a lifestyle, young lifestyle program, but I was probably the oldest one there and uh, a little bit more hip back then. Of course, this is going back some years, but that's kind of what it was. Very, very good. uh, You are the example of what I've tried to do my whole life. If you can't work in theater, you'll work in TV. If you can't work in this network selling jewelry or whatever it is over here, you'll Mm -hmm. work over there. You'll go where the money is, where the insurance would have to be that you require, and you will make yourself adapt to the situation. I had to. I had to do it. I think it was taught from my family. You know, that's that's how my parents were. And I was kind of taught that from living at the jail as a little kid. Right. You yeah, were a jail did. kid, and we're going to get into that. Not oh, because yeah. <laughs> your parents were incarcerated. <laughs> no, yeah. that had nothing to do with it. They, yes. they we were there. By that. Yeah, I'm going to qualify it. Your parents were jailers. They ran the little the little rural jail out in Kentucky, rural Kentucky, where you were from. And this was both your mom and dad? Yeah. Dad, dad was the Boone County jailer and mom was the deputy. Oh. So my. we and and my brother and sister and I, you know, were were there too. We were all there. You were my taken sister, literally into the jail. We all went into the jail. And what did you do when you got there? Did you sit down? Did you play board games? Did you help them with with chores? Oh, all of it. Everything. You did it. You grew up in a jail. I grew up, when I was, I would go upstairs when my, when I was bad, usually when I was bad, my mother would send me upstairs or when the prisoners were bad, that's probably what it was. She would send me upstairs to sing Christian music to the prisoners. Oh no, no. And then who played the piano or what type of background? Oh no, I just would, listen, I just went up there acapella and I was in a little, a little, yeah. And I was in a little Christian music group. Uh, called Kathy Parks and the Redeemers. And 
<laughs> so it was it was a, an adult woman who sang the blues, and then and then three little kids. I was one of the little kids, and then it was two of her other children. And we would go around singing in churches and things. And we would go upstairs and practice our music. Well, they were a captive audience, weren't they? So we would go up there and practice our religious music in front of the prisoners. We would just walk up, go into the jail cells. Not in, not literally. We would go into the cell block, but not the block, into the cells. Right. Right, correct. Yeah, into the block. They could not reach practice. out and touch you, could they? No, they could not. They just had to sit there. They knew what they were good. They weren't mean. They would. We were just little children, so of course they were going to be nice. Yeah, but not, you had you know, to have some rough. You had to have some rough around the edges human beings behind those bars. Oh, not everyone you know, was in to, there for a parking no, ticket. No, no, we had jail. We had jail breaks. I remember the jail oh. breaks. While they you were there, on fire on purpose. Yeah, and they would catch. Sometimes they would catch the place on fire on just purpose. To make, to, on purpose, hope, hoping that mom and dad would open the cell and let them out. Uh huh. Yes. You know, but mm. they wouldn't. They would say, "Well, you're going to have to hang on until the fire department gets here." Were you, you ever know, threatened as a child by yes. one of their customers? One, one of them. One time. Mom and dad weren't there, but my brother was a deputy and, you know, he was an adult at this point and he was a pretty, you know, muscular guy, but he was up there and he had opened the cell block. Well, there's a, there was a guy there who was, um, I think he was in there for sadly raping a child. Oh no. Oh and no. So yeah. So yeah, we had felons. I mean, we had people who were, you know, looking at some really serious times. So, cause you know, it was, it was like the holdover and you were, you had, you know, you had the just the town drunks, but you also had people who were facing felony charges. So you had all of it. So this guy was waiting. He was waiting his, awaiting his court date, but this guy broke out and he came down the stairs. And I remember my brother screaming, jailbreak, jailbreak. He comes down the stairs. And when I heard jailbreak, I knew that where the gun was. Oh, I no. knew. Oh, yeah. I went and I got it was just a it was a rifle. And oh. I went and I got it. And I, when the guy came down and he was looking at me in the hallway, and I was standing in the kitchen looking at, you know, looking at the stairs that came down. And then there was the door that where he could leave. And I was pointing it at him. Oh and my God. He, yeah. How old, how old were him. you? How old were you? 12, 12 ish, I believe. 12 ish, 13 ish, oh. something like that. Oh my. And I did, it wasn't loaded. Uh huh. He didn't know that. It was not. Did no, you know that? Know that. Did yes, you think it was it loaded? loaded? No, I knew it wasn't loaded. Dad oh. said, this gun is not loaded. Okay. But if you need to, and somebody you know, is around, they they won't know it's not loaded. So you right. can, you know, yes. you know, he, yes. you know, dead would never, he didn't have a loaded gun. No. Right. Right. So, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they would allow your parents to bring their children to a jail. I've never heard of that before. You are the first jail kid other than Opie, mm. Opie Taylor. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, can go I along would... with Opie because I don't see much harm between Otis, the town drunk, yeah. and Opie. Yeah. I mean, they would bring well, had... Otis to Aunt B's yeah. house. Uh, remember yeah. when they brought Otis to Aunt B's as punishment and put him to work for Aunt B, and he wanted no parts of it. I think he escaped. <laughs> Aunt B well, had, had him. prisoners in, in downstairs. Oh, they must have been trustees. And they were trustees, and they would work, and they would, you know, help help mom and dad do things. They weren't, you know, 
they were we had this. They were nonviolent. I'll put in. money they on that. They were nonviolent. No, they weren't violent. They were nice. They just usually had problems with drinking, and that was usually it. Non-payment of child support, that kind of stuff. Right. Yes. Yes. That's a non-violent bad. situation. Oh boy. So yeah. So but yeah, it was a, it, you know what? It was an interesting childhood. And I wouldn't change a thing. And you often said that your show business life began because you had a captive audience and you meant that literally. I did. I meant it literally. They were my captive audience and I did go upstairs. I did sing to them and I, you know, it was, it was a a very, the people that came into the jail were colorful. The deputies that were there that my dad hired were really colorful people. One of them spoke in tongues. Oh, yes. Yes. She did. She spoke in tongues. Full Another gospel one, woman uh, there. Full gospel. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, one one guy was um, had been... I mean, he had been shot in the head, and and then he, so he couldn't really hear very well. But he and he and he, uh, but but he he survived, and Dad hired. And my dad would hire people that probably shouldn't be working, you know, in that kind of job. But Dad felt sorry for him. Another guy was probably about five hundred pounds, named Tiny. And my dad hired him. I mean, you know, that Dad Dad had a big soft heart. Would so. he deputize them as deputies? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. They were deputies. Uh. They had uniforms they had the badges so it was a it was a funny cast of characters boy isn't that amazing and you know what kind of like my babysitters wow now you're never going to find that in in the jails of today are you no 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 no, that was no that was this is the 70s right the days of yesteryear yeah, the days yeah. where hitchhiking might have been popular, and you know what? You don't see any of that hardly anymore at all. Oh, oh no, no, no! It was a different time. It was a different time. It was a you know we don't know what was going on back then, but it was it was a it was a time where you know you know your father who had a big heart could hire people who who were probably. Um, although there, there are a lot of compassionate people who are understanding that there are people who, who can do jobs and who should be able to do jobs when they have uh, disabilities, which is great. But my dad was like one of those kind of guys that would hire people who, who he felt could really help. Now, a couple of them maybe physically wouldn't have been able to do the job. But Dad hired them anyway because it was kind of a tough job going up and down the stairs and stuff. But but I think that you know my dad had that kind of he had that kind of heart. So. And how long in his career was he the jailer? Um, he was there for six and a half years. And sadly, he and I, I mean, this is the sad part, but it was, you know, it's, it's life. He and I were in a car accident together. Oh. I was driving the car. Yeah. And, and I just had my permit and, um, Sadly, he was he was killed. Oh, my. Oh, my. Back when you had your learning permit. So I'm very sorry to hear that. You had your learner's permit, and that's when the accident occurred. Yes, it was in September 3rd, 1979. Now, did and, your mother um, continue to be the jailer then? She did. So she was the first woman jailer in Kentucky. Oh, really? in the whole state? Yes. Yes. Oh, so she, in terms of years, she was longer than your dad. But she ended up, yeah, well, she, yeah, because she was a deputy. And, you know, she really, mom did most. 
I love my dad, but he had, you know, he had some physical, he was, he was disabled from the war. I mean, he, he was, he never went on disability, but he had a, he was crippled from, from World War II. So he couldn't go up and down stairs and things like that. Now, in this rural jail, if you can remember, can you at least put me in the ballpark? How many prisoners did that jail roughly hold? Less than 100? More than 100? What do you think? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, we're talking about uh, if we had 15, we were maxed out. Oh, 15. Oh, that was a tiny little jail. Tiny, but that was that was like we were busting, and and that was after what we did was we took we took the porch and we enclosed the porch on this jail because we just because the facility was you know too small, so we had to build a jail. We had to build a cell on the porch. Fifteen. So we created another cell with fifteen prisoners. You were you were mm-hmm. busting out at the seams. Yeah. Yeah. But now, if somebody was up for murder, for example, in that particular geographical town or city, wherever it was, they would be held, I'm sure, while the trial is going on, maybe, at your jail there. So you still could have had some rough, rough times ahead of you with these these hardcore Mm -hmm. prisoners. They were in the first cell. They were always in the first cell, the bad ones. The bad ones were in cell one. Is that the cell that you could you could watch the easiest? I think so. I think it was the first. It was the one when you first came in. I mean, we'd had a cell. I remember once there was a those guys got out when when my brother and dad um, had opened because you got to open the the cell to get the trash out. You know, you have to do things like that. And, And I think they ended up breaking my dad's arm. Oh, no. I believe it. I believe they don't care what they do. Their mind is, I'm sure, to get the H out of there. Yeah, it happens. And they'll do it at all costs. Yeah, but... But the, the the worst ones were in the first one, and and sometimes some of those guys were up there from six months and the most maybe to a year when they're waiting for their trials. Right in that little jail, some of them stayed a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my boy, those were the good old days, weren't they? Yeah, did, and it, was, it didn't have air conditioning. It did not. No, oh. it had fans. Oh, it wasn't. Listen, they listen, would never uh, allow Tracy. That now. Tracy, Aunt yeah. B didn't used to come with a picnic basket and bring them all lunch there from home, did she? My mother was Aunt B. My <laughs> mother was downstairs cooking. Oh, oh But my oh. mother, my mom had a beer in her hand and a cigarette in her hand. So that was the Aunt B. Oh, <laughs> uh, your, mother, your mother had a cigarette and a beer in her hand at the jail? Yeah. Oh, you were allowed to drink at the at the jail. Well, well, they were running it. So that they, my dad would have card parties every Friday night with the county attorney, the the judge, executive executive judge, the uh, the sheriff. They would all sit and drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes and play cards every Friday at the literally at the jail itself. Oh yes. Now would They'd the would the prisoners say, "Hey, that was a pretty good hand there." Uh, would they like watch you uh, watch them play oh, as an audience? No, no, because they're upstairs. Down the house is downstairs, 
and the prisoners are all upstairs. They don't know what's going on. Oh, they don't know what's going on downstairs. Yeah, they can't see it. No, I got it. it. I got it. They can't see anything. Oh, yeah. what a life growing up. A jail kid. <laughs> you are a jail kid, Tracy. I was a jailer's daughter. A jailer's daughter. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, confessions of the jailer's daughter right here on our show today. Tracy Edwards, what a life you have had. My goodness gracious, you've been in theater. You've been on television. I didn't even talk to you about the USA Network. You were on USA. That's a national network, and I know that because I used to watch a very bright lady on there that had a talk show. Her name was Dr. Sonia Friedman, and the show was called Sonia, S-O-N-Y-A, and she was on USA, the USA Network. What did you do on the USA Television Network? I I did a thing. It was like an offshoot from HSN. It was called Monster Shop, where we were selling selling things for. I think it was a Halloween situation. So it was um, it was all geared towards the holidays. So we would do things that was all geared towards shopping for the holidays. And typically, you know, we would start usually in October, and then we would move through. Because we were trying to appeal to people who had never shopped on television. So you try to move over to other networks. And so that's what we did with that. Now, on television, the people that you have met, and your girlfriend, Michelle, and I, we were talking about how blessed this business that we are in is in the respect that all these years that you do it, you meet, even when you're just a DJ, you get a chance to meet people people that you would never meet under any other circumstances unless luck in intervene and for example you'd be at the airport and bump into someone but it right, was right. it's commonplace in this business and that's one of the reasons I just love it so much you don't know who you're going to come across or meet and you have interviewed B Arthur wasn't she one of the oh. golden girls you know what? It was. I was scared to death. Yeah, with that low <laughs> voice. Why are you so oh, yeah, nervous? She's, yeah, she's very stern. You know, but you know, then then she had me eaten out of her hand, and vice versa, and we'd laugh, and we were fine. Such a nice lady, you Tim know, Conway. Over the years, you interviewed Tim Conway. Yeah, we you know we were able to sell stuff on on the shopping network together, and right. it couldn't have been any funnier. Yeah, you know these are people that I watched as a youngster, and that you know I laughed at as a as a youngster, and then here I am looking at them face to face. Right, you know, exactly. And Connie Stevens and Frankie Avalon, and you know we're all we were proud. just I mean, talking about Frankie Avalon on this very podcast the other day because I'm getting ready to bring out a, a gentleman. The show hasn't aired yet, but it's already been recorded. He went to West Philadelphia High School with one of our upcoming guests, and they talk about being classmates together. Frankie Avalon, Fabian, and uh, Chubby Checker 
went to the same. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. The same high school in Philadelphia. People are going to hear about that shortly. But I'm about to make the women of America extremely jealous and upset with you, Tracy, because I'm going to name off two names of people you had a chance to work with. And all the ladies, they're going to have tears coming out down their eyes. Here we go. You uh, you worked with Donnie Osmond and David Cassidy. You know, never in my dream. Listen, when I I was in love with Donnie Osmond, like so many people. Oh, and join the club. Get in line, girl. Get in line. Right? So to think that that child that put, you know, that had plastered on the wall, Donnie Osmond, Donnie Osmond, had all the albums, drove my dad crazy playing, you know, Puppy, Puppy Love, Love over and over yes. and over. And then playing those albums, the Partridge Family albums, over and over like I did. But I was able to meet both of them and, you know, have conversations with both of them and pictures with both of them. You know, that was unbelievable to me that that would ever happen. And I was very fortunate that I got to do that. And they couldn't have been any nicer. Two really nice guys. And they called it Puppy Love. Oh, yes. And I, yeah, it was wonderful. It's like how many men were in love with Marie? Right. It's the same thing. A lot of men. A lot of them. Yeah. Line up, people. Line up. And you know what? I think I had a lot of respect for Marie because she did get a divorce from her first husband and she had a failed second marriage, I believe. But you know what? Mm -hmm. She went back and remarried the same guy, husband number yeah, her one. First husband, yeah. Her first yeah. husband. Her first husband. And you know what? I believe they're still together to this day. And I yeah. admire her for saying, listen, maybe I was A, B, or C and shouldn't have left, whatever her feelings were at the time. But she corrected it, did it. And apparently it seems to have worked. Or maybe he corrected some things. Or maybe they both oh, did. Oh, maybe they both did. There you go. Yeah. I don't know anything about her husband, so I can't really speak yeah. for him. But yeah. boy, but- did they all the the men loved Marie. And I just, I always thought Marie was a good looking gal. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. And very talented. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. She's still beautiful and talented. And, uh, you know, I never met her, though. She's one person I I didn't meet. Right. But I I think, I think she, you know, she seems like a lovely person. Right. Now, Tim Conway, I I watched him on the Carol Burnett show. And here you always worked. You later went on to work with Vicki Lawrence. Speaking of the Carol Burnett show she was on that show too how about vicky she seems very down to earth what what you see is what you get with vicky lawrence is that true what you see is what you get with vicky with vicky she's just down to earth but she's funny yeah i mean obviously obviously both of them are funny but she would sit and really engage with you and like while you're in between and you're waiting for, you know, a product to, to sell, because that's usually what happens. You're like, you're waiting, they're, they're changing a turntable or whatever. She likes to sit, she sat and chatted about stuff. And she was, because sometimes celebrities will come on and they don't really want to chit chat. And they're kind of like, uh, you know, but she wasn't that way at all. She was really giving of her time and she seemed to enjoy, you know, chatting about her life. She wasn't one of those that just kind of barred herself away from people she was she was very sweet right i was very happy because i was always a fan you know when you're a fan of somebody and then they're not nice it's really disappointing oh they work their whole life so that they're known they get known 
and walk over top of people, tr- treat them like garbage. Mm-hmm. Wrong. No, 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 no. Yeah. That is I've, so I've wrong. I've ran into those. I'm not going to mention their names. Oh, but I've don't run mention into their names. We all I have. won't, but I, we all have. And, but it, don't you think, don't you remember how disappointed you were when you met them and uh, then they weren't what you uh, thought it, they were? It ruined my whole perception of them because I realized that I liked a fake actor, a fake yeah. person. I didn't like yeah. the real person. I was yeah. in love with a fake. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing. When you forget who, where you came from, you know, you, you lose everything. You know, if you came from really humble beginnings and you had to work really hard, you really should remember where you came from. Boy, isn't that, that the truth? It, oh, my. Ladies and gentlemen, if you came I don't from a know. Jail, remember that you came from a jail, you know? Isn't that the truth? Tracy Edwards, I've only been in this business now coming up on 50 years. You are the first jail kid I have ever met in my entire life. Ever. You might not meet another. I, I guarantee you I probably won't. And today, what you did in that rural little town in Kentucky where 15 prisoners was the max, I I don't even have anything to gauge that by other than Andy Griffith and Barney. And what? I think four might have been busting at the seams because they only had two cells. Right. (laughs) You know? We had four. No, we had three upstairs and one downstairs. And then how many per cell? Well, if we crammed them in there, you know, sometimes we had to cram them in there and just put Uh in, you know, mattresses on the floor. So, you know, if, if, I mean, sometimes that's how we had to roll, but usually dad would just bond them out. That's, that's how we did it. We get them in, dad dad bond them out. Your dad, the jailer would put down whose money, his own money or, or the government's money? Oh no, to bond him out? No, he would. Met, we had a bail bondsman on call. Oh, okay. So it'd be a legal bond then. Oh yeah, it was a, there was a bail bondsman. He called. Her name was Debbie. I can still remember her. She was awesome, and she would come in and she'd bond him out. And then you know, so we were able to just keep it going. And then, but every once in a while, we would have too many in there. And when that happened, obviously, Dad had to because you know there was a limit. He had to empty he didn't some want to out. Get in trouble. Right. 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 So if somebody got a DUI, for example, they'd come in, they'd stay for a very short time that evening, they'd get bonded out, somebody would come in a different car and pick them up. So they wouldn't even sleep the whole night there, right? Yeah, they were usually in the drunk, the drunk tank was usually downstairs. Oh my, my. And there you were 12 years old. You were 12 years old, for God's sake, and you knew where the drunk tank was versus where the criminal cell was. Yeah. Yeah. For the yeah, hardcore. I, I was like eight and a half. I was eight and a half when we moved there. Oh, Lord. Eight and a half, nine. Yeah, something like that. Now, so, did yeah, they ever, was, did these shysters and criminals ever try to make deals with you? Look, uh, I'll give you this. If you just get me the key to the door, uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll buy you a new you car know, when you're 16 if you just unlock this door for me, child. Did no, they ever they, try they any usually, of this crap? Well, you know, I was one of those, you know, because when you're little and you're just moving there and you kind of want to make a name for yourself in the town and there are little kids, you kind of want to be the cool kid. And I kind of looked like Jimmy Osmond, who was the fat Osmond brother. So I looked a little boyish and I had, you know, I had Mrs. Beasley glasses. And I looked, you know, 
kind of like a little stuffed sausage. So mm-hmm. I wasn't the coolest looking little girl. So, you know, you want to, how can I be cool with the little boys around? Because they were cute, but they weren't looking at me that way. So I said, well, I'll sneak them in the jail. So I would sneak kids in the jail. You mean to visit? Dad weren't looking. To, you'd yeah. sneak kids I'd in there? What were they, your yeah. classmates at school? No, they were little the little kids down, yeah, some of them were, but you, it was usually the neighborhood kids in Burlington, Kentucky. And they and the they wanted to see in. what it looked like. Well, yeah, yeah, and they'd never been, so I'd sneak them in. You'd sneak this them in. in the beginning. And we'd go oh. upstairs, and, you know, I, I, would, I would take these big, giant keys, you know, and sneak them off of the wall, and then we'd go upstairs, and then I'd turn it, you know, it was, you know a covert operation, and mm. we were, you know, really tiptoeing up there open up and we'd go in. Of course, they'd say, give us some candy because we had candy bars that we would, you know, sell to the prisoners and they'd tell us, we'll be quiet if you get us some candy bars, that kind of stuff. Yes, so yes. I would, if, you know, they'll be quiet and not tell mom if I sneak in sneak them some candy so that's kind of that was kind of the deal did you sneak them did you ever sneak them in a candy bar of course i did because i didn't want them to tell mom Uh aha aha yeah oh my yeah i was sneaky i was a sneaky little kid uh you look like jimmy osmond the fat osmond brother i did the little fat boy i mean yeah oh my Oh, confessions of a jailhouse kid, (laughs) and she's not a criminal. Yes, she was in the jail. I never went to that. You never, now, I I am just shocked at all this. I've never heard stories like this. Just when you think you've heard it all, along comes Tracy talking about the jailhouse. (laughs) Yeah. I've I, never had a DUI. I've never uh-huh. had a speeding ticket. Right. I've been good. You've never served one day criminally in a jail your whole life. Never. Never. Right. You've never. learned your lesson. There's still time. I'm 58 no, years old. There's no. still time. No, sir. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because I'll go to Pennsylvania. I'll pick up Michelle, <laughs> and both of us will come down and start kicking you in the behind if you end up in the jailhouse. Right. right. Yeah, no. Well, Your experience yeah. in the jail, young lady, it's over with. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it is. Unless unless somebody did something really bad to some animals and I had to go to court to stand outside and scream and protest, I yeah. might do that. That's your First Amendment right. That's right. You have the right to peaceful assembly, and you have the First Amendment right of freedom of speech. And don't let anybody right. else tell you otherwise. No, oh, I, I, I don't think I will. Oh, God no, bless you. I've always you. just said whatever. I've always said whatever. I thought. Yes. My filter. I don't have much of a filter. I try, especially when little kids are around. I try to have my filter on. Wow. Okay. Now you were at HSN. And I was yeah. watching you one night. This was nationwide TV. And not only did it get carried all over the United States, but the satellite took that to other countries. So it was more than just a nationwide network in, in America. You were seen in other countries. And the next thing I look, I'm seeing, and there is a CD of a young lady singing that's for sale. They were selling it. And that CD was you. I did do a couple CDs. Yeah, they HSN Home Shopping Network released CDs of music that was basically record albums featuring you. 
How in the world did that happen? I've never heard of that. I've never heard of it before you, and I've never heard of it after you. Well, it has happened, but here's what happened. I have, you know, when I was first diagnosed, and I was always a singer because of musical theater. It's a musical, I have a musical theater voice. And when I was, um, you know, not a pop voice, just a musical theater bright voice. But when I was, um, when I was first diagnosed with MS, not to go back to that, and I'm, you know, but but I I really had trouble singing because it affected my throat, which affected my vocal cords. So the singing was really uh, interrupted. So I started working on it, really working on it um, to get it back. And when I started getting it back, I thought, you know, someday I'm going to do a couple CDs. Just I, w- I want to sing some songs. And since I was at HSN, I was talking to uh, to my uh, boss, and I said, if I did, if I I'm, I'm going to do some CDs because I really just wanted to do it as a passion project, just to do it. So I had had it for myself. So if I ever should lose my voice, I would have it. Really, that's what it was for. But it was a friend of mine who wanted to, to produce them. So he did. He produced the CDs and I said that I had them. And so my boss says, well, if, if you guys produce them, we can sell them. So HSN didn't produce them. It was produced by somebody else. It was a produ- producer in Los Angeles. He produced them, um, arranged them and everything. And then HSN agreed to sell them. And th- so that's how that happened. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Now you're telling me there were other show hosts on that network that, that had CDs of them singing. And if so, are you allowed to mention the name? I, I've never heard of it. I don't think that they had their own CDs. I think what happened is I, I believe, I can't remember if this is true, but I believe that they had HSN hosts that did some sort of a CD or it couldn't, and that could have been Q, it could be QVC because I did work for Q2 that had a CD. It might have been a Christmas CD where various hosts sang Christmas songs, but I can't, I don't know which one did it. Was it? QBC or was it HSN? I'm not really sure. Now your girlfriend, Michelle, she has a Christmas CD of you, your Christmas CD. Yes. Cause she's my, she's one of my besties. Right. Now, what was this CD you had? All I want is everything. Is that the Christmas that, one or is that another no, one? There's, I have all I want is, oh yeah, that's the Christmas CD. And then the other one is called Songs I Like to Sing. Oh, okay. All right. And that was just favorite songs that you did like to sing, literally. Yes, I did. And then the other one uh, is All I Want is Everything. And there, right. there, you know, there are different people who sing on, on the, on the uh, CDs with me. So, so I, it's not just me, mostly me, but, but I do have some, some other artists who are on it as well. That is remarkable. It was a labor of love. Absolutely. A labor of love in case I lose my voice. That's kind of how I, I handled that. Well, that's a legacy that is probably on your shelf right now. And I'll bet you, you probably every now and then, at least at Christmas anyway, you're going to listen to it. You know, that's, that's, that's when, that's usually when it comes out at Christmas time. That is remarkable. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Tracy Edwards. She is a television personality. She is an actress who has done a lot in theater, and she has also done a lot 
on television, not only with name personalities, but with such affiliates as Fox affiliate, NBC affiliates, where she hosted the morning shows in Florida and launched those shows. She's worked on the Oxygen Media projects. She's worked on the USA Networks. She's been on HSN, QVC, GSN. That's what is that? GSN is Gems Shopping Network, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Gem Shopping Network. There we go. But the most amazing part of this woman, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that she grew up as a jail kid in a rural town in Kentucky. And I'm looking at the teletype right now. See, I'm showing my age. Back in radio, we used to have the teletype. This is way before computers. And the teletype would would like like an old dot matrix printer. It would shoot the paper up and you'd rip it off and look at it. And that's what they called in broadcasting at that time. Tracy, they called it Rip and Read. Rip and Read. Rip and Read. And I'm looking at the teletype. I've got a message for you, Tracy. Here it is. We're busting out of this joint, Lefty. We'll we'll do it at midnight. We're busting out, Lefty. Tracy has her message. I made sure to, to give it to her off the teletype. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what. It's been interesting. I've never met another like her. And Tracy Edwards, I'm never going to meet another one like you ever again, for heaven's sake. You are one of a kind, girl. One of a kind. Right back at you, Rick. I'll tell you what. If somebody says, I heard Tracy Edwards on a podcast, I would like to get a hold of her and just say hello, just say hi, just say I used to watch her on such and such and such network. How do they do it? How do they get a hold of you? You can find me on Facebook. That's where I am. And you're hanging out on Facebook, and the name of the page is just your name? It's just Tracy Edwards. Right, and that's T-R-A-C-E-Y. Y. That's correct. Right, Tracy Edwards on Facebook, T-R-A-C-E-Y. And that's where you can get a hold of her, everyone. I really would like to thank the jail kid for coming on because I will never in my career have another guest with stories like this ever again. This is the one... This is the one time I have no, I, I have nothing but Andy Griffith to even judge your life by. You know? Oh my! So it was um, so much fun talking with you. And the next time, if we get to do this again, we can talk about all of the great foods that we had in Cincinnati. That I'm thinking about Skyline Philly right now mm-hmm. because you know, I'm going to go ahead and have to try and make some. Now you did say the music was good at that nightclub you used to go to. The music was unbelievable. Right. And they did have lines at the door to get in there, didn't they? I had to wait in a long, long line. And back then, I wore high heels. Really high, high heels. Yeah. It was a long, long wait. Because I wasn't like a celebrity then. I I really had to stand in line way, way, way in the back. And I was a teenager. Oh, we had the celebrities in that club. I'm telling you, Tracy. I know you did. Oh, we sure did. did. Oh, we could go another hour just talking about them. But I'm not going to do it. What I'm going to do is just say you're one of a kind. God bless you. You're a wonderful, wonderful human being. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And before I hold you any more overtime than what I already have, I think you just better say good night, Tracy. Good night, Tracy. There we go. We go, ladies and gentlemen, it's Confessions 
of a jailhouse kid. And it stars our guest today, Tracy Edwards. She is an actress. She is a television personality. She does a lot with animals, which we haven't even gotten to. We're going to get to that on the next time you see her on here because there's too much content there to where we just didn't have enough time to bring it in. Tracy Edwards is available on Facebook, T-R-A-C-E-Y. Edwards, thank you, everyone. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our guest today, Miss Tracy Edwards, thank you, and have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.